The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I am the senior reporter with Provoke Media. Um, we have a guest today who needs no introduction, but I will uh, introduce you anyway, Mr. Larry Weber, who has been a, a, an integral and an influential part of the PR business for 45 years. I've got that straight. 40, 45 years this year. Unbelievable. 45 years and going strong. Um, now as the chairman and CEO of Race Point Global, but um, people know you well back from your Weber group days and moving on to what today is now Weber Shanwick and the second biggest uh, PR firm in the world. So um, you're coming with quite a legacy and, and quite fanfare here. So welcome. Well, great <laughs> to be, Diana. Always great to be with you. So. Um, yeah, when I say have you in it, you know, I just want to use this opportunity to to chat about, um, I guess, in the big big picture, it's technology PR because you are really kind of at the, were at the forefront, still at the forefront of that. Um, and how what technology PR was and what it is today um, is there? You know, when you started out, was there technology PR or was it just PR as? No. When I started out, there was actually, there was one technology PR group on the West Coast, and his name was Regis McKenna. And uh, he had written a book called The Regis Touch, and he really was one of the pioneers in, in influencer PR, not like we know it today with YouTube and uh, the other social media, but more with infrastructure and technology. So there were these small companies called Forrester Research and the Gartner Group. And there were um, other influencers, quote unquote, that could make or break a sale of complex technology products. And I was watching that very much. And I had gone to a party and I was on the East Coast. So I was in Cambridge, Mass, with the Weber Group. And I had gone to a party um, with a bunch of MIT people, and I met a guy named Mitch Kapoor at the party. This is early 80s. And uh, he said, uh, I said, what do you do? And he said, I started a software company. And I said, what's software? And uh, he said, uh, I like you. Why don't you come by and see me at the office? <laughs> Sounds top secret. It, his office in Cambridge only had a futon and an IBM PC. And he had me lay on my stomach and watch or have a demo of one, two, three, which most of your audience probably won't remember, but they'll know Excel from Microsoft because that's the spreadsheet that everybody uses now. But back then it was one, two, three that broke through uh, to create the personal computer market. And quick, quick aside, why did you have to lay on your stomach to do this? Because he didn't have any furniture. It was all <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was some sort of something no. going on there. All right. No, it's because he, he only had a futon, you know, and he had the computer in front of him. Okay. But anyway, long, long story short, um, he said, you want to work with us? And I said, sure. And what came in handy for me was my master's degree in literature and writing and telling stories 
and narrative because a lot of these companies that were just starting the personal computer revolution uh, didn't know how to explain their their inventions or their innovations. And the ad agencies were having trouble too to describe these things. So I just, I, I, I had a feeling there was going to be something happening in PR where we were going to more go aggressively vertical. And there really wasn't a technology vertical yet. There was an engineering vertical where you might've been working with some chip companies or things that were based on electrical engineering, but there wasn't a pure play tech company. So back then too, your audience, I hope some will remember, Silicon Valley wasn't the lead. Back then in the 80s and early 90s, it was mostly the Cambridge, what was called 128 uh, highway area. And we soon after representing Lotus, we got digital equipment, we got Wang Laboratories, which was making the first word processor, Cullinet software, it went on and on. And by 1991, we had opened in London and Palo Alto when we were the largest tech PR firm in the world. And it primarily was, we would write a press kit, remember those? We would write a press <laughs> kit for the technical people. So we had tech, tech, tech writers that would write for the editors that were engineers themselves and wanted to write about the complexity of the products, the software, the hardware, et cetera. And then we had the more general business press kit that would present the business opportunities of, of applying these technologies. And it really was the beginning of a, of, of a wave of technologies that I began to understand very clearly. And, and you know, it went back and started in the 40s when there, the PR was really just Harold and Dan. And, um, and, you know, they did more corporate work. And the mainframe as it developed was not marketed very much. And then when we got into that personal computer era with Steve Jobs and and um, and Mitch Kapoor, it really started to change the way we marketed uh, technology. And then we went into the client server rage. We went into the wave of uh, of uh, Sun and Microsystems and Apollo computers. We went into the HTML phase, the web at 93, which the Weber Group was lucky enough to introduce for Tim Berners-Lee, now Sir Tim Berners-Lee, and that I knew would change everything, including PR, uh, just like AI, which we should probably talk to on this podcast at some point, mm -hmm. uh, since my first AI client was at the Weber Group in 1985. So, and it was called Symbolics and um, Palladian Software, which spun out of the AI lab at MIT, which was run by Marvin Minsky and Seymour Papert. And, uh, and, uh, so we have been dealing with AI, or I have, for almost 40 years right now. And it'll be interesting to talk a bit about that. But then we moved quickly to the search phase. And by the way, Google wasn't the lead search. We represented the first two search companies, Magellan and Excite. Uh, and then it moved to uh, Google because those two young men at the time figured out how to attach an advertising algorithm to their search. And, and the rest is history. Of course, they might get disrupted by ChatGBT now uh, as well, but 
uh, like other companies. Uh, and then we moved into the social media phase. And that's when I started really writing books uh, because um, my first book, The Provocateur, about uh, business leadership changes in technology and how we started to make tech leaders rock stars uh, like Steve Jobs and, you know, and Bill Gates and et cetera. Now Elon Musk and, you know, and uh, you name them, but, uh, you know, Mark Benioff, uh, et cetera. But we, I wrote Marketing to the Social Web, which was still my biggest bestseller, not because it was a good book, but because it really explained how businesses should deal with social media. And that was 2006 and seven. And then up to today, I'm still deeply involved in technology and I'm writing a seventh book, which we can talk about later, but I believe we're moving into the wave of technology and humanity. And so what has changed in tech PR isn't a lot about the actual execution of PR. I mean, it might be more from, a, again, influencer identification, content creation, um, you know, videos, a lot more visual, um, you know, still leveraging influencers. But what's changed is the type of technology and who the audiences are that we're trying to market to. Because some Samsung and Apple want to market to consumers, right? But they still have to market to developers as well. So the audiences are complex. Um, they've gotten more complex. It's more like healthcare audiences. So healthcare PR companies have multiple, probably the most audiences that I've ever thought about. You know, when we do health tech, you got to think about patients, doctors, uh, payors, you know, government, you know, et cetera. Now in technology, we've got to think about a lot of those things too. Government, public affairs, ESG, um, you know, and so it's a lot different. And even though I respect the PR teams that introduce, you know, sour cream flavored Pringles, it's a lot different and complex in its audience uh, work, you know, and it's more, a lot more consulting up front and strategy up front than it used to be. And then of course, it's still good writing, good content development. And, uh, but tech, you go deep. You know, no longer should you say you're a tech agency, it's my belief. Like what RacePoint is my continuation of the Weber Group. I had a seven year interruption to build the largest PR firm in the world. But then I went back to continue my journey from the Weber Group to make it consistent with the evolution of technology and technology applications and innovation. And that's what I get excited about and that's what I get excited about RacePoint being able to represent, you know, companies like, you know, Panasonic, um, Meditech, or um, MediaTek, uh, analog devices, et cetera, that are doing cutting edge, different things. But to my point, it's less about being called a tech firm and more, do you go deep in chip or in semiconductor understanding? Do you go deep in the future of networks not 5G anymore, 6G, 7G, 8G, you know, do you go deep in the next generation of social media platforms and the technology and data and analytics that follows that? Software is eating the world. How deep do you go in understanding different software applications? So that's part of the future of tech PR. And then every, uh, this, this is part my marketing in me, 
but the the few I've always said that since about 2000 every company is a tech company well, that was my so, next question is because we're involving and I'm sorry to interrupt you but it sounds like you know you, you we're starting off at this very niche very sort of intense kind of hardcore tech right and right. as the you were describing as the industry grows and evolves so does the PR naturally but I did want to ask you about this question that you were leading to naturally so excuse me um that everything is a tech. I mean, is there such a thing as a tech PR company now? You know, everybody says every client is a tech client. Every everything is tech. Is that true? I, I I think it's true, but I also think the advantage that some company that whose DNA is in deep tech can allow for a deeper understanding for when you apply your PR skills and technical understanding to say agriculture or to climate change, or to communications, satellites, or to security. Mm -hmm. You know, I can name a number. So if you combine good PR skills, you know, with a deep understanding of the technology that's evolved and been built over time, you know, like take an example of, of voice recognition, Diana. We launched, I launched, you know, um, the first voice recognition systems dragon back in the eighties, mm -hmm. that code still exists in nuance, which was bought by Microsoft, which is now being used with uh, chat GBT, you know? So you're looking at technologies that have evolved, touchscreen technologies, another one that have evolved and been tried to be perfected and are used differently. So I think the combination of good communications, PR marketing skills, and the understanding and the c contextually of technology in our world and in the worlds of vertical markets is very much happening now. Is it accessible, do you think, in terms of when you're recruiting talent and selling it? Um, do you have to be a techie? Do you have to be a deep technologist? No, no, it's the same. It's just, you don't have to be a deep technologist. What you have to do is respect the process of technology development. It's like when college kids ask me advice or young people that want to be an intern. And I, I say, you know what you should do no matter what you do in life, whether you stay in PR or not, all right? Uh, whatever you do, go take a simple course in de software development. Not that you'll be a developer, but I just want you to understand the basics of how software is created because it is the underlying technology in almost every innovation. And at least if you understand how things are constructed and things are designed, you're gonna be able to communicate the benefits of that better on behalf of your client or the company you work for, so. The more understanding, the better. Um... Yet at the same time, technology and technology PR has become a lot more human, right? I mean, we're looking yep. at humanity, we're looking at purpose, we're looking at CEOs having to be out there and in it. So what what tell me what you can about that, about where technology and purpose meet and where they're I, at this time. Well, you know, my last book, Authentic Marketing, was yes. about purpose. That was in 2019 or 18. But and that was 
you know, every company should have some type of purpose. It doesn't have to be save the world purpose, but it has to be, you know, of some kind of uh, good that you're doing on behalf of, uh, of the company. But what I've been wrapped up more in thinking now lately is sort of the evolution of purpose into this idea of humanity and technology sort of being forever integrated. And it's going to be hard to pull apart. Previous to that, we had, and this is where Facebook, I think, has run into some issues because um, they were part of the last type of technology company that just created a platform that I call agnostic, that you just put it out there, you know, and if it's used for bad things, oh, well, not my fault. If it's used for good things, like sending you a picture of my cat, you know, okay. <laughs> or dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah, or dinner. That's, that's terrific. But now we're talking about Surg you know, surgical robots. We're talking about, you know, um, uh, climate change technology that can stop the rise of, of the ocean, you know, around the East Coast of America, you know. So we, we can talk about, you know, technology and disabilities and how, uh, it, you know, screen readers for, for blind or hard to see people are probably better than they've ever been. And so you're starting to see what I'm, I'm calling in my new book, uh, which is entitled a, a New Age of Reason, uh, The Power of Tech for Good. And the idea is humanity, technology, and the power of tech for good is this combination of understanding how we use technology to better our condition, to better our lives, to attack the problems that a lot of people think we're in an SHIT show, you know, in, in, in the world. And how do, we, how do we really look at making the world better? I'm a technology optimist after being in it this long yeah. or as a service. I'm not a technology pessimist, even though things can be done, you know, badly with technology and the way journalists are cut, the majority of journalists covering this AI movement is very frustrating to me because you'll see nine articles that are, the world's gonna end and only one, you know, about how these surgical robots with AI can save lives where there are surgeons, you know, that aren't available, you know, or, you know, and I have endless examples of this. So companies, corporations, C-level, they need to have two things I think they haven't had before. And that is a chief ethics officer you know, somebody that really extends not just this ESG idea, but the idea that there has to be a moral purpose to a company's work and that and the company's use of technology has to be done carefully and properly. Then there should be a chief innovation, and these are the, probably the wrong words, but there needs to be somebody that's out there always looking at new technologies and innovations that could make your company and products better because you don't have to make it all yourself you know what can you put together and integrate that's that's available today that's going to make things better and ai is one of those things because if used correctly and with with moral purpose it actually can help because a human brain just can't have that much stuff in it you know right. so um i hope that sort of starts to answer your question. No, well, it does. I um, I mean, technology is amazing. I just saw this week how um, a person who's been paralyzed for years, you know, thanks to 
digital implants in the brain and the body is, is walking for the first time. I mean, that's crazy. And yet we hear about one of the fathers of AI, one of the early um, researchers who was at Google leaving because of his fear of, of what it can do, that it can be used on the battlefield, for instance. I mean, <clears throat> do you have that fear or how do you, I mean, is that fear from people real? I understand the difference between optimism and pessimism. Yeah. Is the fear real? Um, I think there's some fear that is real, but you have to keep remembering what I tell myself is all this technology was created by human beings. The technology did not create itself. All right. right. So the technology should be our slave, as Dr. Michael Dudusos used to say, who is the founded the lab for computer science at MIT. He said everything should go into making technology work for us and do our work better and do work that we don't want to do. So it's a manage, it's it's managing the technology. If you don't manage something, it gets out of control. It doesn't not just technology, right? If you don't manage people right, if you don't manage situations correctly, if you don't, a lot of things can go wrong. So I'm an optimist that management and attention to this, not just letting technology sort of roam around with no guardrails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that then I'd be a little afraid. So yeah, right. And I, I, you know, some of the maybe some of the the um, fallout from you know platforms, you know, the Facebooks of the world and everything, um, shows the in the the importance of getting ahead of the issues of as you mentioned the chief ethics officers. I mean, it sounds like putting something institutional in the process is really key to making totally. it function in a positive way. Totally. And think of think of how what a great tool that would be for PR professionals, right? To be able to point to the goodness a company's doing, the policing they're doing, the, the ethics that they're looking at when they're trying to develop products. Those are all good reputational stories, you know, and 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 right at the heart of what we're supposed to be doing as PR people. So do you think the PR industry though has a role in creating those roles and safeguards or just telling the story once they exist i think they at the higher strategic level they have a role in actually uh, helping create that i do and i i think that the work that they're doing at the usc's annenberg school i think uh what fred um cook um who i got to know when we had bought golan harris obviously and, and uh now called Golan, I think, but uh, the the good work they're doing about raising the awareness of PR from a strategy point of view around the use of technologies, especially AI, both in PR and also in representing companies that are using new technologies and innovative technologies. So, yeah, it's a big new area that I think is actually exciting. You know, I would think for young people that want to get into the PR industry. Yeah, and then that also is probably another thing that the industry though does, there's fear among the industry too, right? People afraid of losing jobs and all that stuff, but well, expanding their role might be something that the industry has to actively think about and mobilize to do. Right, and things change and, but so other areas will be expansive and others might slow down, you know, kind of thing. One thing I don't like about 
you know, where we are today in PR is we're an industry that has been very slow to use technology in our practice. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, our brethren in the ad agency world went running and sprinting when the social media started to, you know, come up with predictive this and predictive that and automatic media buying and, you know, programmatic media buying and et cetera, et cetera. And the PR people, we just sat there doing the same PR, you know, instead of thinking about, is there software there that can be done? That's why I like, there's a lot of, I keep an eye out for some of these smaller startups like Profit. There's one called Deep Seer out of London. I, I look at these companies that are using some AI, using different software tools that can help us identify influencers even better, can help us write better content, create better visuals, target our audiences better. So I'm really into that and hoping that our industry embraces it more aggressively uh, and creates tools that are specific for earned media, not trying to reshape paid media tools and or owned media tools. So, well, why do you what what do you see as the root of the reticence among our industry versus an ad? I industry? think our I I think the history of our industry, the DNA, was one of reaction. It was one that you waited to see what was going to happen, and you created a plan to fix that reputation or build that reputation. Which that's not a problem. That's the way it was in the fifties, sixties, even seventies kind of thing, or you had product launches and you had this. Now I think we've got to get ahead of things and try to shape, you know, the story, the narrative lines around the, the material that we have and the technologies that we have. So that's why I think um, it occurred. And, but we, and I think technology PR had a role in saying, hey, let's look at are there tools out there that can help us make our job better? I mean, farmers didn't just stand around, keep using a shovel, you know, when they saw that there was a tractor that could do things, you know, 800 times faster, you know, it was like, yeah, let's do that. You know? <laughs> and how about the role of, um, and the visibility of CEOs in this sector? Um, and, in terms of them being communicators and and in charge of sort of not in charge but yeah you know helming the reputation of the companies and and working with the comms functions the ESG the activism and all I still think they are critical to the role and I think it's interesting to me that you know right now we're living in a time when what there's five or six most powerful uh, companies are all technology companies, really. Um, you know, Apple, Amazon, uh, Alphabet, uh, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, I, I would say, are the five. You look at those five CEOs and, you know, some of them have had trouble, you know, shaping their own image and helping to shape the image of the company. And, um, and I think I've always believed that they're separate but complementary. I think the CEO needs to have their own brand and they need to have their own program and they need to have their own point of view on things. Now that needs to complement the company's personality and the company's soul, which is one, one of purpose and one of, uh, of good uh, and the use of technology for good. But I, I see right now, 
sort of, a, and I think PR can help uh, with that challenge, but I see that as an, a continuing challenge as these companies rule. Uh, one, one I think who's done a very good job lately is Satya from Microsoft. I think the company has done a great, great job. I think they've created a little too much hysteria about AI, but I think um, he's a class act and I think he knows what to say, what to do. I think Mark Zuckerberg has been an effective CEO many of the times, but I think Facebook is much more deeply helpful to small businesses and some other areas that they don't communicate well enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, Tim Berners-Lee once said to me, Larry, they're using my invention to share pictures of their pets. What's going on? You know? That's what people want. <laughs> That's what people want. So let it go, you know, kind of thing. So, yes, I think we have to get back into the CEO. I mean, Larry from Blackstone, Larry Fink. I mean, he's been an outspoken person on investing, only investing in, in companies that are have a purpose and are doing good things for humanity. So I think it's sustaining that that's what's hard. And I think PR often starts to act like advertising, Diana. It, it goes in spurts. So it goes in, here's this project, or here's this product, or here. And we've lost a little bit of that. What's the consistent message over time that builds a solid reputation and one that's going to create leadership, you know, for that company and its partners and its ecosystem and its employees, uh, et cetera. And I think we've lost a bit of that. And I, I hope we'll get that back as a new generation hits the C-suite, which is happening now. We're seeing 40-something CEOs, uh, you know, diverse, diverse kinds, not just all 60, 70-year-old white men. So, you know. Yeah. Good thing. Um, before I let you go, what's next for you? You said you're writing a new book. Am I correct? You're in the work. I don't know if it's top secret or you can tell us the subject. Yeah, it's um, again, it's about humanity and technology. Oh. I'll have loads of examples of companies that are doing that. And what I'm trying to get to from a PR angle for the book is that ultimately, if a company does its job in purpose and in using technology properly for the benefit of humanity, your reputation is going to be golden and that that's, you know, and that's part, I think it'll be a fun book to read. It goes into the history of some of the innovations that I've been around um, during my career. So look for it in the spring. It's uh, and then also we're going to celebrate starting this month, the 20th anniversary of race point or RPG. And uh, I'm very proud of the company. And I'd like to, before I, you know, hang up my uh, my cleats. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see it continue its growth, continue its leadership in technology and innovation uh, in every company as a technology company in shaping conversations that benefit brands. And because uh, I like still like doing that and my golf game is lousy, so I might as well work. Still work. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you have to do <laughs> a couple more years you know so i have a sweet granddaughter and so life is good right now if uh, my, my dogs would only obey me it would be great but you know 
Excellent. All right. Well, we um, congratulations on the race point anniversary and all your your work. We'll look for your book at what one eight hundred Larry Weber or yeah or, <laughs> somewhere or, or, Am or Amazon or Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. All right. I appreciate your time and always enjoy speaking with you, Larry. So. All right. Good right. I, I love your guys. What you guys are doing covering our industry. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.